0: Are you at your point where you think you've hit your bottom or maybe that there's just no way you're ever going to feel like things can change? I was like that. I really was. And I want you to know, my name is Bromo, by the way, I want you to know that there is a way out. Please join us for my podcasts. Hey, what is going on? My name is Bromo. This is There Is A Way Out. It is the 23rd of January. We here in Bismarck have a little fog going on, which is really not the norm. If it gets a little drizzly, we have snow on the ground. It makes it dangerous. So that's never good for us out here, of course. For all of my friends in San Diego, I'm sure it's something like 60 degrees. (laughs) No, usually in San Diego, if it rains for more than two or three days, that's the weather, the lead story in the news. Lived in San Diego most of my life. I've now been out here in North Dakota for almost 10 I am an alcoholic. My uh, sobriety date is two seventeen oh nine, and yes, my fifteen year uh, sobriety birthday is coming up. And uh, I've said before, for me, that's the my favorite day without a doubt. Should I get there? We always have to say, should I get there? With it's my favorite day of the year, way more than my natural birthday. Good grief! I wish they'd postpone that. But now I'm not a doctor. I don't have any certificates or anything like that. Uh, I don't de- see myself as any kind of expert at all. I just am trying to deliver strength, hope, and some experience. For those of you who may feel you may uh, either drink too much, you may want to, you know, you can go online on and on. nowadays you can look up anything, but online you can go on Google and you can actually probably find a test. I mean, you can for sure. Give yourself a 10 question, 15 question test on whether you drink too much. Do you drink by yourself, which I've never found to be that accurate. A lot of people drink by themselves when they're watching a game or whatever. Do you drink in the morning? Do you think about drinking all day long? This is just some random questions now. I can't tell you if it's on that quiz or not. Do you drink every day? Is drinking uh, becoming a problem in your social life or your work life and such? So look it up if you want. I offer this podcast like, again, for anybody who feels they might want to listen to it, maybe they have a friend or a family member who they think is starting to become deep into alcoholism or addi- any kind of addiction they can listen to this as well. With with my hope is one person can get something out of this and maybe pass it on to someone else. I left you last episode. I think this is my 7th one already. My last last episode I was uh, living in Mission Beach um with one roommate now and of course I was still doing the radio thing and uh Things were never better as far as popularity wise. Um, I told you before. I love the fact that I was such a nobody in high school, such a nobody growing up, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit when I when I became more well known on this show, it was probably ninety nine percent of my life. That's what my ex girlfriend once told me. She said, "That's all you talk about is the show," and she was right because I loved it. Yeah, the other the parts about running around naked and, uh, wearing thongs and paying off golf bets on the air. That was entertainment. Sure. It was, but it was also very embarrassing. And, uh, for many who have approached me, uh, in the, in the nowadays or whenever, and they say, come on, tell me the truth. Is that why you're an alcoholic because of the things you had to do on the show? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I'll talk about that later on. Um, If you hang with me, my story will be done soon, I promise you. And then I believe the strength of this podcast is, I know for sure, is when I can get others to come on with me and we can talk about uh, our lives and and they can share. And they can share and they can let it out willingly. And it's, it's, it's good therapy for everybody. Like I said, anybody who's been either 20 minutes sober or 25 years sober can learn from each other. That's what they tell you when you go to meetings. And that was one of the things that I'll touch on later, going to meetings and starting out and uh, not being one of my favorite things, of course. So I'm still drinking and I'm drinking the same pattern a lot. I'm drinking every night the six pack, at least the three uh, vodka club martinis, or even maybe get a full bottle of a uh, straight vodka. I knew that things were getting really bad when I'd be on vacation and uh, I, I, I would hit it right away all day long. Like I said, last week, last podcast from the morning I got up all the way through at night with hardly any food in my system and no water. And I told you last episode, I was rushed to the hospital with a major nosebleed and they had told me then, yeah, you are severely dehydrated. They get me all hydrated and they get me ready to go and I get I released from the hospital that night and sure enough I came back and about five minutes later long enough for me to put my keys down and such I walked over to the liquor store and bought some more booze I wanted to keep that circle going man it was that was not going to stop me what was going to stop me was when I was seeing that I was the shakes were becoming more severe and my mind now was telling myself dude you can't you can't get rid of these shakes yeah. The only time you can, the only time the shakes leave you. And you know, this is when you put alcohol in your system. I knew I had a problem now. And I knew also that I couldn't quit. I couldn't just, I, there's no way I could, I mean, I could try, but I'd be fooling myself. I remember one of the Thanksgivings that we would have, you know, my mom lived across town and, uh, during Thanksgiving, she would expect me over and, I had a chance to go and I'd call in and I'd tell her that I had the flu. I didn't have the flu. One, I was too lazy to drive 20 miles across town and give up three or four hours of being with my family on Thanksgiving. I just wanted to stay home, play video games, and drink more. And uh, as, I, as I realized that I needed help, uh, I went into work one day and the shakes were so bad, I confided into a, a coworker. I pulled her off to the side and I said, I think I need help. And she goes, I think you do too. And it was right before I was going to pay off a naked run around the building. Now, we didn't just have a building that was small or anything like that, like this building I'm in right now. Of course, we are, we are on the 12th floor elevator still busted here in Mandan. <laughs> this was a large building that had 10 radio stations in it. And the whole perimeter of the parking lot around the building was huge. And I, one of the golf bets I, I had lost, of course, was to run around this building from the front door all the way around into the back of the building, back to the front on the other side. That's where I would end up. And my, I was so weak and so uh, ravished full of these these shakes I remember thinking, God, I wish I could just be normal. I looked around at all the people that were there sipping coffee. or So you see, when, when I had to pay a golf bet, that was announced on the air. People would show up. You wouldn't believe the you know, they were fans of the show, and I don't blame them. And uh, they would listen to the golf bet on the air while I'm doing it. And that was entertaining. But, man, if, if you hear about a guy who's going to run around the building naked, why would you bring your four-year-old kid out? And that's what happened. A lot of people came with their cameras and all that stuff. But before I made that golf bet payoff, I had confided in a coworker, And I said, I think I need some help. And she said, I think you do too. And before I did the golf bet payoff, I called my mom up on the phone. And I told my mom, Mom, I'm in trouble. I've got the major shakes. They're not going away. I can't stop drinking. Uh, I feel like I'm going to get a stroke anytime I come to work and I told her what my goal was and we had looked to see what, what my options were. So I went out and I paid off the golf bet and then came back in and pulled aside a couple of people that I work with, my best friend being one of them and one of the managers and I said, I need help. And so they did some work and they said, well, we're gonna take care of this for you. And so they arranged a place where I would go to detox. It was in La Mesa. Scared to death. Now I knew this was something that I could not uh, put off. Uh, I could not procrastinate this because I already. And you know, here's the here's the here's the weird thing. I wasn't glad that I made these announcements to the coworker and to my boss and everybody because once I said I need help, I was telling people, "Yeah, I need help. I don't want to drink anymore." But but way deep down, I was scared about giving up. Drinking, it was a big part of my life. And I was probably, not probably, I knew back then that am I gonna be able to do this because I don't wanna give it up, you know? My counselor used to call drinking as your girlfriend. Well, this girlfriend, I didn't wanna lose. I did not wanna lose this part of my life. But now I made the announcement. They were making plans. They found a place for me. I showed up with my mom ironically, this place was literally about a mile down the street from my mom's house. She showed up with me. I had a little bag packed, signed some papers, and I went into detox. And for those of you that have been in one of these little programs before, I was in there for three days. And of course, they gave me some medicine, to help me sleep, and they did this and did that. I'm not a smoker. I'm not. I smoke cigars. But when I was on detox, and we had our little breaks where we could go outside in this back of this fenced-in fenced area or so. I was smoking these tiny little thin little goofy little cigarettes, not inhaling or anything, just something to do. And I'm out there with a roommate, and I go through detox, and I'm scared to death. And I'm trying to remember what they had us do in the daytime, probably read some books and stuff. I don't believe that they had us try to work the steps at all. We were detoxing. A lot of people in detox when you're older or whenever, if your disease is so strong and your drinking has been so awful, you can die in detox quite easily. But I went through it. I was released with some paperwork. And then I was set up as part of the the whole recovery part. I was set up with mistake number one. I agreed to go to an outpatient program, which was right there at that detox center, ironically. It was an outpatient program where I would go to classes. My classes were like Monday, Wednesday, Friday from like six to nine at night. Mistake number two, when I'm taking these outpatient, uh, this outpatient program, I would go home to where I drank. I would go right back to my bed, my area, my neighborhood. See what I'm saying? The outpatient thing. And I'm not going to ridicule it. It might work for, it probably does work for some people. But man, not when you're such a strong alcoholic like myself and you've been drinking now for years, three or four, five solid years of, of vodka and beer and such. And you're in such a routine and your body has been used to it. Your body's craving it. So I've got this outpatient thing that I have to go to. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and there's, it's a class and we're all huddled around and there's like eight or nine of us and we're all telling our story and the counselors talking to us about the evils of drinking or or addiction or things like that. And of course, I believe that it was a three or it was a four week program. Okay. Mistake number three, I understand and I fool myself that during this, uh, outpatient program thing in replacement of drinking. Why don't I try drinking non-alcoholic beer? You know, I like beer and maybe non-alcoholic beer will, will kind of like get me through the whole thing, right? I'll get that, that taste for the beer. Let's just quit fooling myself. It wasn't the taste for the beer. I wanted the alcohol, (laughs) you know, beer is beer. Non-alcoholic beer, by the way, I believe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't, okay, does it have like a minor little, minor, minor little bit of alcohol in or is it all, if it's all zero, 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 whatever, it still messes up with your mind. Of course, I was drinking the non-alcoholic beer to fill my void for the booze that I wasn't pouring in my system, but it wasn't working because after a while, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm drinking this non-alcoholic beer and it's just not doing it. You know, let me see if I can try. Yeah, let's do this. Let me see if I can try to to reward myself for the classes and everything to have one beer when I come home that night from my outpatient class because I know that if they are going to give me the P test on Friday, I got a day and a half or so to drink one beer. Excellent. Reward myself. See how that works. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I did that and uh right after that one beer and I'm into my third week of the outpatient program. I'm now drinking three beers. And then uh, I'm going in there and maybe once in a while they give me the P test and I'm, you know, perfectly fine. We graduate from this outpatient uh, program. And uh, right before I graduated, uh, I thought to myself, you know what? Let's go watch some football. I can go to that Saskas bar. I'll sit in my seat and I'll have a non-alcoholic Bloody Mary and I'll get to have my breakfast and everything will be like normal, right? Right. Well, not right. When I came back to class and I told my counselor, hey, everybody, what'd you guys do this weekend? When I started telling her in the whole class what I did on that Sunday where I went to my favorite bar and had a non-alcoholic Bloody Mary and I was very proud of myself, by the way, you should have seen her face drop down to the ground. She said, what the hell? And I go, what do you mean, what the hell? Wrong, 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 wrong. And now I felt, When the back of your neck gets all red, I felt like I was on the spot. I was on the spot. All the other people that were part of my little group, not the counselors, but the other people, they were kind of just going, yeah, what's going on? Why? Wonder, wonder why she's so avid? Oh, I'll tell you why. You're fooling yourself when you go to a place where you did all that drinking, all that fun, all that alcohol. And you went right back to that same spot and that same seat. Now, this is when I learned about triggers. Talk about your trigger. First of all, let's rewind a little bit. When I took this detox, I never should have gone back to my house. My house was a trigger, but what am I gonna do? I didn't have the money to move right away. And I, you know, so I graduate from this outpatient plan, program, and I'm gone five weeks from the show. And I'm all set to come back, but I'm fooling everybody. And I'm even trying to fool my roommate. I'm fooling everybody because I'm right back where I was before when I went into detox. It's right. After that outpatient plan from those three beers I was trying to tell you about, from those three beers I was telling you about, let's put it that way, that I was rewarding myself, had progressed to five when I got out of the outpatient plan program. I didn't have to fool anybody by taking a P test. So I went right back, right back to my six pack and three martinis. I was right back in my hell hole and I was doing that. And I came back to work like some conquering hero. And, uh, the traffic reporter, I told you, uh, the alcoholic, and she pulls me aside and she said, how do you feel? I say, "Well, I feel fantastic. Look at me. Man, I'm so glad. I've recovered. <laughs> uh, I've recovered. I'm drinking uh, these stupid um, energy drinks and I'm, I'm taking care of myself, and I'm lying through my teeth uh, right to her face, because I hadn't had the shakes come back yet, but they will. And I was lying to her and I was lying to everybody. And I had a, again, kept my routine up where I would go and get all my booze into my cooler, sneak that cooler up into my room when I got home, barricade myself in my room. And you know, my roommate was awesome. She could tell if I had three or four beers when I'm coming out of my room to use the bathroom. She's not stupid. She could either see my face or she could smell it. She didn't say anything for a while. My sister comes into town with her kids. And we go out to pizza. And I'm and my sister's asking me how my recovery's going. And I'm lying through my teeth and saying I've never felt better. I'm so sorry for all the times I've, I've missed Thanksgiving, such and such and such. But on the way over to the pizza place, my roommate says to me, Look, dude, you don't need to hide. I know you've been drinking. So what do you mean? And she goes, dude, I'm not dumb. You know, you don't need to lie to me. So for some saving grace, that was great because now I was free of the lying part only in my house. So she goes on another trip. I had vacation coming. I was uh, back to work. I had the paperwork that said I was okay to come back to work. I worked for quite a bit. I had vacation coming. I had just probably reached, in quotes, I probably reached three months sobriety, which was bull. But that's what I was telling everybody. I was masking myself so much with underarm deodorant. I would, I would place that stick all over my body so nobody could smell it. I'd take a bunch of mouthwash and gargle that before I went into any, any room. So the traffic gal didn't smell it, thought pretty much I had her fooled because I didn't really see her that much. And after that three month period of uh, coming back to work and such, I had a week vacation. My roommate went out of town and I went full bore at it. Like I had done before that when the paramedics came, I went full bore at it. So much so that, again, she found me on the steps of the front door steps inside the house, collapsed. Here come the paramedics again. Paramedics come. They pick me up. uh, I get out of there. And now I've had to tell everybody I relapsed. And when I relapsed, I made a phone call back to the detox place. I was heading back to detox for the second time, the same place. Here is where it gets scary. I go into detox and I know what I'm facing, but I had so much alcohol in my system. I'll never forget this. I had so much alcohol in my system that the first night that I was in detox, I started seeing things. I started seeing what looked like big, huge spiders crawling over the wall, crawling on the side of the wall, going up on the ceiling, big black ones hovering over my head. I remember starting to panic a little bit. I looked out these shaded windows that you couldn't see. You could You could see kind of out through th- through them. And I saw men wearing helmets. And I saw groups of men talking and I saw some men with helmets looking inside right to my eyeballs through the glass. I went over to the wall and I could hear people saying, hey, they had guns, right? Hey, we need to start clearing this place. I started freaking out. I started freaking out so much that I ran out in the hallway. Next thing I know, there's five or six people all dressed in hospital gear and they're trying to yell at me and they're trying to calm me down. And I'm thinking that we're being attacked. I'm thinking we're being invaded. And uh, we've got people all around that have got guns. They have me now and they put me in a blanket and they pick up the blanket. And I'm on my back on this blanket. And people are yelling at me, relax, calm down. Now, I was told that reaction was probably from the drugs that they were giving me. And I don't even know, I can't tell you medically, what the drugs were they they gave me when I went into detox that first night. But let me tell you later, that same counselor who had stopped by to see me in detox because she heard what happened. She told me I was on the verge of wet brain. That was her opinion. You know what wet brain is? That's when your brain is so sponged, full of alcohol, your brain never comes back to normal. I'm just telling you that in layman's terms. If you get wet brain, I believe you can't come back. You're gone. You can't come back to reality. She, in her opinion, thought I was on the verge of wet brain. She says to me, you're, you're coming back to our outpatient class. I said, yes, I am. And she said, what makes you think that this time will be different? And I said because this time I really want it. Really? This time I really want it. Really? Yeah. Did I really want it? I'll tell you about my second go-around without patient, and then I'll tell you what happens when you go into a 28-day rehab. My name is Bromo. This is There Is A Way Out. I sure appreciate you listening. I really do. For anyone who thinks that they've hit rock bottom, and or maybe they may have a problem, There is a way out.